So good morning. When I scheduled myself to preach today, uh, it didn't occur to me what I would be in the middle of. Uh, I've been watching a little sports last week. How about those Cubs? Huh? Yeah. But uh, the problem is, along with TV and sports stuff, comes watching commercials. This is some of the stuff I've been looking at. Take a look at the screen. Hmm. I'm John Bray, and I don't approve any of those messages. In fact, we took some of the nicer ones and didn't use some of the really uh, horrific ones. Many of you will vote for the first time in a presidential election tomorrow, or maybe you already have. On behalf of those who've spent years in the political process, please accept my apologies for what we've allowed elections to become. There was a day when debates were actually debates about issues rather than platforms to throw accusations. There was a day when campaigns ads were about a candidate's ideas, not merely an opportunity to trash talk or throw shade at an, at an opponent. Today our campaigns are angry and hostile and attacking. Truths become the victim of half-truth. We've taken some twisted fact and some accusation and combined them together to poison your opinion about someone else running for office. If you go out into the internet world, you can find advocates and enemies of both Mr. Trump and Mrs. Clinton. On either side, you find people who say they're the best hope we have or they're the worst thing that could ever happen to our country. The Donald calls Secretary Clinton crooked Hillary and points to what he describes as 30 years of failure. He says she's on the take from big money groups. He says she should be prosecuted. In fact, if he's elected, he says he will prosecute her. Mrs. Clinton calls Trump's, Trump a sexual predator, a businessman who built his wealth by oppressing the little guys and not paying his bills. She says he's a tax cheat, and you can't trust a temperament like his with the nuclear codes. And you're being asked to choose. And it feels like you're being asked to choose between the lesser of two evils. So what do you look at to guide your decisions and who do you look at to give you influence? And you ask, is it even worth voting? But sometime tomorrow, whether you vote or not, one of these two candidates will likely be declared the winner of an election. It may happen tomorrow night. I've seen projections that maybe the Electoral College could be tied and then it'd be a real mess, but, but whether you get the announcement tomorrow night or whether we get the announcement Wednesday sometime, the question is, what do we do with the result? I mean, the supporters of the, whoever wins will be celebrated and, and you may or may not be in that group. Well, but, but if you're a supporter of Donald and Hillary gets elected, how do you respond? And if you're a supporter of Clinton and Trump gets elected, what do you do? Whatever, whatever the outcome, whether you support one of the two major party candidates or a third or fourth or fifth party candidate, the question us, for us to consider now is, what do we do Wednesday morning? Now, some of you might be wondering if there's a spiritual point to what I'm talking about. I can assure you there is. Some of you are wondering whether I'm going to come down on one side or the other of a political debate and suggest how you should vote, and I assure you I am not. And some of you are wondering why. And I will tell you why. It's because I have a partisan interest. Now, if you look up the word partisan in the dictionary, it's this. Partisan is um, 
a strong supporter of a party, cause, or person. Or it's a person who's prejudiced in favor of a particular cause. Now, I want you to know that this will be a highly partisan message, but not for Donald or Hillary, not for the Democrats or Republicans or the Libertarians or the Green Party or the yellow, purple, or orange one. The cause I'm partisan about is the cause of Christ. Christianity existed long before there was a Republican Party. And it existed long before there was a Democratic Party. In fact, it existed long before there was this experiment that we call the United States of America. God, contrary to some people's opinion, is not a Republican. There are some things about the Republican Party platform that God might smile about. God is not a Democrat, although there are some things about the Democratic Party platform that God might nod his head to as well. The thing that's shocking to some of us is God's not even an American. We tend to put some claim on him for his special blessing because we're an American. We're Americans. It says on our money, in God we trust, although mostly we don't. His kingdom is not one of this world, and it is not limited to this world, although we live here currently. And the question before us today is simply, does the Bible give us any guidance about how we might engage the reality of living in a broken world and a broken political environment? Does it have anything to say at all about what we should do on Wednesday morning after the votes are counted? And I contend that it does. We're going to go to a passage of scripture written by the Apostle Paul to a, a, a man named Timothy. Let me see if I can put some historical context around it for you. It was written in about 64 AD, plus or minus a year or two. The Roman emperor is Nero Claudius Caesar, and he is a piece of work. At one point, he has his brother Britannicus poisoned, murdered, because it feels to him like Britannicus' arrival to the throne. Because Nero's mother supported Britannicus, he has her killed too. He was quoted as saying that his predecessors had not realized the power that tyranny could wield. Nero was a piece of work. In 64 AD, fire broke out in Rome, and at least half the city was burned down. Ten of the 12 areas of the city were affected, and some people suspected, accused Nero of actually having the fire started so that he could enact a massive urban renewal project and rebuild the city in incredible grandeur as an honor to himself. People began to rise up in anger and protest, and Nero not wanting to be blamed, looked for a scapegoat. And the scapegoat he chose were the Christians. They were not emperor worshipers. They seemed to be isolationists to him, and they were the perfect target to blame. So he does blame them, and arrests begin. Cru Christians are hung on crosses. They're crucified. They're wrapped in skins of animals and fed to wild dogs to be killed. They're tied to stakes and burned alive. Persecution of the church becomes Nero's state policy. If you're a Christ follower, your life is at risk. This was ISIS long before ISIS. This is tyranny. It is danger. It is crisis. And it's the, in the midst of the leadership of this man that Paul writes Timothy. And as he writes Timothy in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, I urge you, first of all, 
to pray for all people. Ask God to help them, intercede on their behalf, and give thanks for them. You're going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, that's right. And then it says, pray this way for kings and all who are in authority so that we can live peaceful and quiet lives marked by godliness and dignity. This is good and pleases God our Savior who wants everyone to be saved and to understand the truth. God is on the throne. As Paul writes this, God is on the throne. As we read this today, God is on the throne. Understand that our hope is not in a Clinton presidency and it is not in a Trump presidency. Our hope is not in a political platform. Our hope is not in a a reformed Supreme Court. Our hope is not in Congress. Our hope is in God. The nations of this world have been led by people of various levels of goodness. They've been governed by people, some of whom have been out to line their pockets with money. They have been governed by people, some of whom are despots and tyrants and dictators. There have been godly leaders, but godliness does not seem to be a prerequisite for election or ascension to power in our world. And through this all, God remains on the throne. And on Wednesday morning, he will still be on the throne. And on January 20th at noon, when the inauguration happens and the power in our country is transferred from President Obama to whomever is the next president, God will be ruling there. And whether there's a wall across our southern border or the gates of immigration are thrown wide open, God will still be God ruling the universe. And what's the biblical instruction to us? It is to pray. He says, pray for all people. Pray that God will help them. He intercede for them. Give thanks for them. And I can imagine Timothy reading this letter and going, pray for all people. Yep, I could do that. Pray that God will help him. Yep, got that. Intercede, call out to God for them. He goes, "Uh uh-huh. Give thanks for them. He pauses there for a moment because he remembers the argument he had with Jesse yesterday and the difficulty he had with someone in the church the day before. But he nods his head and says, okay, yep. And then Paul just drops the bombshell on him, makes what appears to be at first glance the bizarre statement, not only pray for all people, not only give thanks for all people, but pray for the king, who is Nero, who's a despot, a tyrant, an evildoer, a murderer, a mass murderer. And it's not God get him. It's not rain down fire from heaven and judge him. We're supposed to pray for the king like he told us to pray for all people, giving thanks for the king, interceding for the king, praying that God will help him. And he's talking about a madman, a persecutor. And this same word comes to us. Because even though we are voting for someone named Donald or Hillary or Gary or whomever you vote for, the principle remains the same. Someone will be elected tomorrow to a position of authority in our land. And we're charged with praying for that person. We're not charged for praying for them if we think they're godly enough. We're not charged with praying for them if they agree with our politics. 
were charged to pray for them, the king and all those in authority over us. But by the way, that, that probably could be taken down several levels. Pray for the governor. Pray for your congressman. Pray for the senator. Pray for the president of this university. I don't know if you always agree with everything Dr. Wright says or, or, or does, but he is an authority over us. Pray for Dr. Newman. It'd be okay if you pray for me. Pray for your RD. Pray for all those in authority over us. Now, we live in a country uh, whose political processes allow us to disagree and to speak about our opinions. And we do speak about our opinions. We put political signs up. We run commercials, whether we like them or not. But it seems to me, as I listen, that our voices of dissent are far often louder than our prayers. And it seems to me that our complaints outnumber our intercession. And I ask myself from time to time, have I prayed for my president as much as I have complained about him? Hmm? The Bible tells us that our lives are to be marked by godliness more than rhetoric. The Bible tells us that our lives should be filled with prayer for kings and all those in authority. I think I've made that point. But this is not just a sermon to listen to. This is an act to be obedient to. I'm about done here, but chapel is not. I've asked uh, Umfundusi Lo, our campus intercessor, to lead us in a deliberate act of obedience. An act of obedience to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and to his word. And we're going to spend the next few minutes praying for our king. Our next king, president, and all those in authority over us. So Dr. Lowe, would you come and lead us please with your team? Psalm 33, 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. For the past few months, we have read numerous headlines and heard energetic debates. In the midst of all the talks, the defending of views, the pointing out of differences, we need to ask ourselves the following important question. Have we prayed as much as we have talked? God reminds us that he is with us and will help us. He reminds us that he hasn't lost control, but has a plan and his purposes will prevail. One thing I do know, there is power in his truth to bring forgiveness, healing, renewal, restoration, no matter how uncertain things may seem. God promises that his word will not return empty without accomplishing great things. I believe in the power that can come from prayer. I believe that the God I serve listens to us when we pray. This morning, we would like to invite you to become prayer warriors. You can do this as an individual remaining in your seat, but I'd like to invite you to do something. For a few seconds, if you would be comfortable to do this, I'd like for you to break up into small prayer circles and scatter yourselves around this sanctuary. Sit in aisles. I know the fire marshal may not like that, but for today, we're going to do it. In aisles, you may get on a platform, get in circles, because we're going to lead you into four things that we would like for you to join us in prayer about. So will you do that for a few moments, please? Get into circles if you feel comfortable doing this.
This Saturday, I had the joy of being able to be in Indianapolis running the Monumental Half Marathon. But before the race took place, they came along and they had us. They sang the national anthem, and around 20,000 people, our eyes were gazed upon the flag that was waving in the wind. I want you to know that as I sang, as I was singing, mousing the words as the person was leading us in that song, even though America may not be perfect, can I share, it's still a great place for us to be. And so, I have worked and I've ministered in around 20-some different countries of the world, and I want you to know that I am glad that I'm here in America with all the freedoms that we have. Our hope must always remain in the Lord, recognizing His great power and wisdom, recognizing that we can trust Him and believe that nothing is impossible with Him. He alone is where our real hope needs to be found, not in earthly leaders, not in the economy, not in a condition of our nation today, or even in the future of tomorrows. Whoever our candidate of choice may be, we can rest in this. God has called us to pray and to trust that the outcome is in his hands. IWU community, join me as I lead us in, in a closing prayer. Dear, dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great power and wisdom. We praise you that you are able to free individuals from the clutching grasp of sin and death. Would you continue to be with your people, extending your grace, granting your freedom, giving your protection, and empowering with your strength? We ask that you would cause an awakening of your presence as never seen before in this country. We pray that many would come to know you as Lord and Savior. We pray that many would see your light. We pray that you would open blind eyes and release those who are still imprisoned. We pray that you, you would unify your people for the glory of your name. We pray for the election, that you will give wisdom and you will give discernment. We ask that you would appoint men and women to serve this nation and your people in ways that will be glorifying and exalting to you. Keep reminding us that our hope needs to be in you, the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. We pray that you would continue to bless our land and shine your face upon us. O oh Lord, we place our nation in your hands. Thank you so much, Lord, for pouring on this nation your glorious love. I thank you so much for the admonition and the challenge that our Dean of the Chapel, Dr. Bray, presented today. Help us to remember that we do have a responsibility to pray for our country and to pray for our leaders and to pray for those in authority. And in all that takes place, we will give praise and thanks to your name. And all God's people, they said, Amen.